0: Ruth chapter number one. Last Sunday, I preached about a magnificent mother, and Father's Day is just around the corner, so I think this is a good time for us to to spend some time and focus on the family. And in doing that, I want us to turn here to the book of Ruth and uh, what you're about to see in this story is not a pretty picture it's the story about the fall of a family and that's the title of my message this morning the fall of a family and this has to be one of the most painful things in the ministry you know you see a lot of different things as the pastor of a church and You go through a lot of experiences that are unpleasant, but this has to be right at the top of the list when you see a family just come apart at the seams. It just begins to unravel, and and suddenly it's, it's torn apart, and it tears my heart out when that happens. And even as I stand here this morning, my mind's racing back over the years, I think about the the different families. I'm talking about families that in many instances were firmly planted in the church, families that uh, contributed greatly to the ministry of the church, families that seemed to be rock solid and could never be moved. And all of a sudden, Satan gets in there some way or another and tears that family apart. To make matters worse is the fact that in many instances, I can see that happening you can you can you can predict it you see what's going on you see it happening and uh, you you do your very best to try to warn people and help people and yet uh, uh, you see it coming and you can't stop it and, and it's just heartbreaking so it's my prayer this morning that this message will prevent the fall of, of some family or or maybe it'll help restore one that has already fallen Ruth chapter number 1, we begin reading in verse 1. And it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, The name of the two sons, Malon and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Ophrah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Malon and Kilion died also, both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Then, and you ought to underline that word in your Bible, then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore, she went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. Sin always is, is awful, regardless. It might be a sin that is way down near the bottom of the list that you've compiled in your mind, Or it might be right up there at the very top. But in the sight of God, sin is awful. But I think it is especially so whenever we see the devastating effect it has on an entire family. I've often said, you know, if your sin didn't affect anybody but you, you know, that's bad. That's bad enough. But sin always affects other people. Not just you. And it's a horrible thing what happens to other people as a result of our sins. And so here we see a good example of a bad example. Here is a Jewish man with the name of Elimelech, and he has a a wife that is a dedicated wife willing to follow him wherever. And so she and her husband and two boys decide that they're going to to move. And so they leave the place where they are, the place there with God's people, and they travel to the country of Moab. And while they're there, I want you to notice the man died first, and then both of the boys died. And uh, finally, then, remember now, ten years has passed, ten years later, the hus- her husband has died, their two boys are dead. And then, after all of that, she decides it's time to go back to the people of God. And in all of this, we ought to learn some valuable lessons. First of all, I want you to notice their departure Think about the period in which they lived. And it's always important that we take that into consideration. The times in which people live. Things are a lot different today than they were uh, my 50 years ago even, back whenever I started in the ministry. Uh, it's, a, it's a different world that we live in, so times are different. But whenever we think about the period that they lived in, it tells us in verse number 1, they lived in a time when the judges ruled. And if you go to the last chapter of the book of Judges, we learn about that period where it tells us every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Well, that always leads to disaster. Uh, Just imagine living in a society where, okay, it's just, you know, no rules. Everybody just does whatever is right in their own eyes. You know, that's kind of where we're at today. I just happened to click on a particular website that I visit now and then for Christian news and just noticed a while ago in a recent survey that was taken, I think, just in the last week or so. In this poll, the majority of Americans prefer a gay president over a Christian president. Now you know our nation is in serious trouble when we get to the place that we're thinking like that. You, you see, it reminds me of the times of the judges, where everybody does just whatever's right in their own mind. So here now we've we've created a society where there, you know, where there's no standard of right and wrong except except the standard that is developed as a result of the majority, regardless of how bad and corrupt and sinful they are, the majority votes and says, you know, this is lawful and this is unlawful, and so this is the system whereby we're going to operate, and we're in trouble. Well, it was a similar time even back then, because uh, every man was doing what was right in their own eyes, and as a result of that, As a result of that, society had degenerated and people had drifted away from the Lord. And so that's the period. But notice in verse number one, the purpose of their departure. It wasn't because of the, of the fact that there had been a departure from the truth. That, you know, that, that evidently didn't bother them all that much. They didn't say we're getting so liberal that we're getting away from this place. Uh, it wasn't that, but rather it says that there was a famine in the land. In other words, there is shortage. Things are getting tough. Things are getting tight, you know. And so th- there's a problem, and they are running from a problem. And, and by the way, that's a common mistake. A lot of people in running from one problem runs right into another. And, and, and so they're running from a problem. They're thinking, you know, we've got to get out of here. You know, we can, uh, we, can we can get to a better place. And, and and I think it's obvious from the names of the two boys. Notice the names that they gave their children: Malon, which is means sick or wasting, and Kilion means pining or consumption. That's morbid, folks. I mean, think about sending your kid off to school and they say, what's your name? And he says, my name's Sickly, you know. And this is the way these people are thinking. They're going through a difficult time. They're discouraged. They're depressed. And there's no denying that, that things are difficult for them. Well, let me tell you, the Lord never said it was going to be easy being in His will. He he never tells us that. It would ruin us if it was all easy. As someone, I think Brother Ron, when he was praying a while ago, mentioned about our troubles and our trials. And all of those things are for our good and for our development. And we would never amount to anything were it not for the fact that an all-wise God allows things like that to come into our life. And you're going to notice here in just a little bit something really amazing in this. They're going through difficulties, but I'm telling you, it's not near as difficult as it gets after they get out of the will of God. So we see the period and the purpose of their leaving, and then notice the place to which they departed. It says they went to the country of Moab. Now, there's something that attracted them there. They could have gone in any direction. They could have gone anywhere they wanted to go, but there was something that attracted them to the land of Moab. It's interesting, that word is used 333 times in the Bible, and 292 times that word is translated field. They went To the field, and as you look through all of the other instances there, it's translated land, ground, soil. It's speaking about an agricultural area. It's speaking about the farm. It's speaking about the country. And the way they're thinking is we've got to get out of town, it's just too tough here, and we're going to the country. Over the years, I've heard so many Christian people say, you know, it's just getting, the crime is so high and it's getting so bad in town, you know, I don't even want to raise my kids in town. I just want to raise my kids out in the country. (laughs) Let me tell you, when a nation gets as corrupt as this nation is, there's nowhere you can run, nowhere you can hide to get away from sin. Nowhere. You're not any safer out in the country. Sure, we'd all like, or most of us would like to live out there, you know, a couple hundred acres with a ten-foot-high fence around it where nobody could get in and some guard dogs and things like that. Nobody could bother you and a nice garden and everything. Uh, It would be wonderful to be out there in a place like that in a peaceful uh, hilltop mansion or something. uh, Everybody would enjoy that. But listen... That might be just the beginning of your problems. So they're moving from the city to the country thinking we're going to be more secure here. Now remember, they've gone to the country of the Moabites. The Moabites, remember Moab was born out of the uh, incest uh, relationship of Lot and his daughter. Now, 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 Now understand, you can't blame Moab for that. You know, that's not his problem. He didn't cause that. But, but the problem is that the Moabites had become a thorn in the side of the nation of Israel. They were the enemies to the Israelites. The Israelites are God's chosen people, His covenant people. They are the people that God is using to, to, demonstrate His greatness and convey His goodness to the rest of the world. That was God's plan for them, to be a light unto the Gentiles. So what do they do? They leave, they leave God's people and go to live among the Moabites. And naturally, it doesn't work. You you see, you you can't run from your problems. Whenever you run from a problem, you're going to run into another problem. And notice verse number 1. Here's the plan. This is what they thought. It says they went to sojourn in the country. But look at verse 2. It says they continued there. The word sojourn means to journey for a limited amount of time. They're they're, they're going to go there until they get back on their feet. They're just going to move there among the Moabites, the sinful people, and, and, you know, away from the people of God. They're just going to go there. Well, you know, things get a little better. We'll get a little money in the bank, you know, and we'll, we'll move back. We'll be back. But uh, we're just going to get away for a while. But the problem is, it says, notice, they continued there. They stayed. It's kind of like these folks, you know, that they get it in their mind, well, You know, we just need a respite for a while. And and so, you know, we're just not going to attend church for a little while. We'll be back someday, but, you know, right now we just need to get away from all of it. I mean, how crazy is that? And yet people do things like that. And so they went there with the intention that we'll be back, but they continued there. Now, notice the disaster in verse number 3. Elimelech died. Her husband died. Now, remember, the husband is the means of support for the family. The husband is the one that they depend upon for security. The husband is the, the the leader of the family. The husband is the one upon whom all of the family is dependent. And now he's dead. It's interesting that the name Elimelech means my God is my king. Well, it's a nice name, but he's sure not living up to it. My God is my king. Oh, really? And you've decided that you're going to leave the place that God assigned you. You're going to leave the people of God. You're going to live among the Moabites. You're going to ignore all of the commands and all of the warnings of God's Word, and you're going to do what you want to do instead of what God commands you to do. sort of like the Lord said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? Elimelech, my God is my king. Well, just in name only, because he's doing his own thing. And he's living in rebellion, and his rebellion leads to his ruin. So this is the first thing that happens to the family that is out of the will of God. The husband is dead. Now we have a We have a a dear mother and her two sons left. And if you look in verse number 4, it tells us the two sons decided that they're going to marry the Moabite women. I mean, I can almost picture it in in my mind, you know, the boys coming in saying, "Uh, Mom, I saw the cutest little girl today. I mean she is hot stuff; she just caught my eye you you've just never seen anybody as pretty as she is you know kind of they they had that experience I had in the third grade when I saw Bev, and uh i I never got over it. She moved away, but I never forgot about it. She hated my guts, but i had still i I was so impressed with her, you know way back then and uh and so anyway, they come in and uh You know, naturally the mother, you know, she's thinking to herself, well, who in the world could this be? Well, it's got to be one of the Moabite women. Now, now maybe you're sitting here and you are thinking, oh, what's the big deal about that? The big deal about that, it was prohibited for the Israelites to marry the Gentiles. It was contrary to the Word of God. The Bible says, how can two walk together except they agree? The Bible tells us we're to come out from among them and be a separate people. And here they are ignoring the teaching of God. It says, be not unequally yoked together and yet even today people do exactly the same thing you know they get attracted to some some cute or you know girl or handsome boy and and all of a sudden they totally ignore everything they've learned in Sunday school and church and marry someone that's not a believer And and, and then we wonder why marriages fail. But how can two walk together unless they agree? And especially, how can it happen when they don't agree on the most important fundamental issue of life, and that is who you're going to worship and who you're going to serve? So now they're intermarried with the Moabites. But notice verse number 5. The story doesn't end there. All of a sudden we learn in verse number 5... That both of the boys died. Now, you know, whenever I think of this and I think about the death of their father, and certainly these people had been taught. I mean, Naomi and these boys understood very well what God expected. The Jewish children were taught from their youth up. They had heard it over and over and over and over again. And I've I just got to—I've just got to believe that, you know, whenever the father of the family, when he died, that maybe that—that that Naomi would have gathered the two boys at her side and said, "Look, boys, we've made a tragic mistake. Your daddy meant well, but we're someplace that we ought not to be. We left the people of God, and here we are among the Moabites. And I don't have anything against your your wives, uh, you know, but." Uh, but we we shouldn't be here this is not god's will but but the very thing that should have been a wake up call was totally ignored by these people and now both of the boys are dead so here is naomi and her two daughter-in-laws by themselves when her husband died she lost her support she lost her security Now, the boys are dead. That's the joy of any mother. Let me tell you, when you get out of the will of God, you're going to lose the support, you're going to lose the security, and you're going to lose the joy that comes from serving Jesus. When you get out of the will of God, if you're a child of God, you're going to be miserable. And so here they are in this horrible situation If you look at verse number 19, and this kind of jumps ahead whenever Naomi finally gets back, we see that Naomi herself had been affected by all of this. Sin and suffering had changed her appearance. Notice whenever she goes back to Bethlehem here in verse 19, they, they said, this was their response when they saw her come and said, Is this Naomi? Her appearance has changed. And notice she says, call me not Naomi, call me Myra, which means bitter. Don't call me uh, Naomi, which means the pleasant one. Call me bitter, for the, Lord, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. Now look at verse 21. She said, I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Now, remember, they went out during a famine. I mean, there was a shortage. There were, were, were difficulties. They were running from their problem. But notice, she said, when we left, we went out full. God had sustained them. God had provided for them. God had taken care of them in spite of the difficulties. And it just serves to remind us that regardless of how difficult it is, when we are where God wants us to be, God's going to take care of us. They went out full. Well, why in the world would they leave the place where God had, had, had told them to be and the place where God had provided for them? Why would they leave that place? It was because of fear, because of worry. The anticipation that, you know, this might happen. You know, things are difficult. You know, the stock market might crash. The economy might fall. This might happen. And their imagination is running wild. And as a result of that, they make an important decision about what the family is going to do based on their fears. They're walking by sight instead of by faith instead of just trusting God, she said, The Lord hath brought me home again. You know, God knows how to get our attention, doesn't He? And sometimes it takes some horrible tragedy in our life to get us to stop and think about what is really important in life. The Lord brought me home. God intervened. You see, God could have just left them there. You know, God could have sent an angel and uh, tell Naomi, look, you help make this mess, you're going to have to figure some way out of it. But the Lord took action, stern actions against them. It cost them the life of the father. It cost them the lives of the two boys Her appearance has changed. You wouldn't even recognize her any longer. Her eyes are hollow, her cheeks are sunken in, and she's just lost weight and just doesn't even look like the same person. When she walks up, they look at her and say, Is this Naomi? Is this the same woman, the woman that went out full? That vibrant, strong woman? Is this the same woman? She said, Don't even... Don't even go there. Don't call me the pleasant one. Just call me bitter. Because God dealt very bitterly with me, and He brought me a home again. I went out full, but I've come home empty. Now, notice the decision to return. It begins in verse number 12, and I'm just going to sum, sum it up. But look at verse 6, where it says that, Then she arose. That tells me that she recognized the nature of the problem. Kind of reminds me of the prodigal son. Remember that when the prodigal son went out, he had the inheritance that his daddy had given to him. When he went out, he had plenty. But the Bible says that he spent all in riotous living. In other words, he doesn't have a penny in his pocket. He's lost everything. And finally there he is out in the pig pen, so hungry that he would eat the slop that the that the pigs ate and nobody would provide for him. And then the Bible says, when he came to himself, and that's why I keep saying that sin is spiritual insanity. It's crazy, folks. It's insanity to think that we can... We can take a direction contrary to the will of God for our life and to think that we'll be the exception of the rule in some way or another. We're going to escape the consequences of our sin and it's not going to happen. The law of sowing and reaping dictates the fact that if we sow to the flesh, we're going to reap of the flesh corruption. And that is what has happened here. And finally, at long last, she begins to recognize the nature of the problem. And then notice, she returned to the, her God-appointed place. You know, again, she could have gone anywhere, right? She could have said things not working out here in Moab. I've lost my husband. I've lost my two boys. My health is ruined. Everything is gone. I've got to move. I'm too embarrassed to go back, you know, to Bethlehem, Judah. I'm not going back there. I'm too embarrassed. So I'm going somewhere else. But she didn't make that mistake. She went back to where she knew she was supposed to be. And she didn't let her bitterness destroy her, and she returned before things got worse. Which is the opposite of what a lot of people do. You know, the Bible tells us that God chastens us because He loves us. He loves us too much to allow us to sin successfully. And she could have, she could have surmised that, you know, uh, God hasn't been fair with me. God's just been overly harsh with me. This is just not right. After all, I thought He was a God of love. I thought He cared about me. He let my husband die. He took the lives of my two boys. But she didn't do that. Instead of that, she went back to the place where she knew that she ought to be. And I'm telling you, folks, listen... That's the only place that we'll ever find joy. The only place that we'll ever find safety and provisions is in the center of God's will. And when she goes back, notice in verse number 20. Here we learn that she reported to others what God had done. And she said to them, Call me not Naomi, but call me Myra, for the Lord had dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord had brought me home again. Empty, notice the last part of the verse, the Almighty hath afflicted me. She doesn't attribute her problems to fate. I've seen people do this over and over again where God's trying to get their attention. They're living out of the will of God. I mean, they claim to be a child of God, but it's obvious they're out of the will of God. And all of a sudden, bad things happen and uh, they say, well, you know, stuff like that just happens to everybody. It, it, it surely it couldn't be that God is is causing this in my life. I'll never forget the fella, and I could call his name now. Many years ago, and he was he just I, I was in the hospital uh, visiting this fella, and he was telling me how bitter he was at God because God had been so unfair with him. And I said, really. I said, what has God done? He said, well, for one thing, I'm here in the hospital. I'm sick. For another thing, I'm bankrupt. For another thing, we just lost our house. He said, it's just been unfair. And then within the matter of ten seconds, he told me, well, I know I haven't been doing right. It's been over a year since we've been tithing. And I thought to myself, are you a complete idiot? For a year you've been robbing God and now you're blaming God because you brought this upon yourself? Now, you know, Naomi could have said, well, it's just fate. She could have said, well, I just had a streak of bad luck. She could, she could have actually accused God of being unfair. But instead she understood that God was in control of the situation and that He allowed these events to happen as they did. When I talk about God causing everything or allowing everything, I don't mean to say that God is the author of sin. I don't mean to say that God, you know, wants you to suffer. That's not the point. The point is that sometimes God has to allow those things to happen in order to get our attention and to turn us back to get us on the right track. So she goes back. She reports what the Lord had done for her. But look at verse 22. So Naomi returned. But the story doesn't end there. She returned with someone. Notice Naomi returned, and Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her. This is another evidence that Romans 8, 28 is really true. All things work together for good to those who love the Lord who are called according to His purpose. And so she decides, you know, I need to go back. And, uh, And so Ruth says, I'm going to go with you. And if you read the whole story, boy, I'm telling you, Naomi really put her to the test. She said, no, 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 you just you go on and stay with your people. By the way, the other daughter-in-law did. She just decided, okay, I'll just stay here. But Ruth just wouldn't be put off. She said, no, I'm going. I'm going with you. Wherever you go, I'm going. Wherever you lodge, that's where I'll lodge. I'm going. Whoever your God is, that's going to be my God. And so when, when when Naomi returns, when she gets back to the place that God wants her to be, somebody goes back with her. And, and let me tell you, it's so true that many times whenever people that are backslidden, when they get right with God, it generally has a positive effect on somebody else. And it brings somebody else to the Lord. It happened to her, it could happen to you. Remember the old saying, you're the only Bible that some people will ever read? That's right. They're not going to come to church. They're not going to pick up a Bible and read the Bible. But you claim to be a Christian and they're watching your life. And the Bible says of Christians that we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. When when God saved you, He could have saved you a lot of suffering, a lot of pain... And a lot of other things by saying, okay, you're saved now, I'm just going to take you on home to heaven. But he didn't do that, did he? Some of you have been saved 30 and 40 years, am I right? You've been saved all of these years and you're still here. Why? It'd be better in heaven, the Bible says so, to depart and be with Christ, be far better. Be a whole lot better in heaven. But the Lord left you here. I wonder why. Why are we here? The Lord has left us here on earth that we might be used to bring other people to Jesus Christ. And let me tell you folks, if we're not trying to do that, there's no reason for us being here. I can't help but think about Elimelech, her husband. He's dead. He's gone. And the boys, they're gone. And I think she came back just in time. You know, the Bible says there is a sin unto death. And he's speaking about Christians. That if we get to that place in our life that we're not focused on our primary purpose in life, then God comes to the conclusion there's no reason for him to be here. I'll just bring them on home to heaven. But Naomi decides she's going back, and Ruth says, I'm going back with you, and she follows her. I love what Andrew Murray said many years ago. He said, there are only two classes of Christians, soul winners and backsliders. All Christians in one of those two classes were either a soul winner or were backslidden. I don't know how you could argue with that. And the question is, which are you? Are you making any effort to bring anyone else to a saving knowledge of Christ? Why are you here? We're here that we might help bring others to Christ. And that ought to be our primary concern in life. Now, look, the Lord doesn't leave us here just so we can enjoy life. Do you remember what He said to His followers? He said, that you're going to be hated and despised just like me. They're going to hate you. In fact, He said, they will even kill you and they'll do it in My name. They'll think they're doing God a favor by killing you. And then what does He do? He didn't say, instead of leaving you here where you're going to have to suffer all of this pain and agony... I'm, I'm going to be ascending back into heaven in a few days. I'm just going to take you all with me. He had the power to do that, but he didn't. What did he do? Well, first of all, he said, I pray to the Father. He said, not that you take them out of the world. In other words, I'm going to leave them here in the world. He's praying for them, but then in order to do, he sends them into the world. Go ye into all of the world. That's the commission that He's given to every one of us as Christians. Here's the exciting part. I wish I had time to tell some stories this morning because I can think back to times when I was preaching so many revival meetings and over and over and over again I saw it happen. Some backslidden Christian would get their heart right with God and it would result in their family members being saved. And I think it would happen right here, right now, if, if those out of the will of God would get in God's will, we'd see some great things happen. But here's the wonderful thing, and that is the fact that when you, when you help bring someone to Christ, you absolutely never know what all great things God might have in store for that person. Naomi said, I'm going back. Ruth said, I'm going with you. She said, no, no, you just stay here. She's putting her to the test. She said, no, I'm going. Your God's going to be my God. And she went with her. And in case you didn't know it, Ruth, as it turned out, was the great-grandmother of David. She was in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that for a moment. Wow, what a testimony this is. That Moabite girl brings a son into this world with Boaz, and the son Obed comes into the world. There's a child by the name of Jesse, and Jesse has a son by the name of David, king over Israel. And this woman is all tied in as part of that plan. It's so thrilling to know that whenever, whenever you help bring somebody else to Jesus Christ, that God might do great and wondrous things through their life. I'm, I'm so thankful that I'm able to you know, look back and every time I, for example, look on Facebook and I see somebody who's in the ministry, pastoring in a church or something, and I think to myself, that was someone I led to Christ. Or that was someone I taught in Bible college, and and there they are still there in the ministry. You think about your children, your grandchildren, your great grandchildren. Some of us have to think about that, don't we? Great grandchildren, yeah. Oh wow. Whatever you do, folks, I'm begging you this morning, don't, don't make the mistake that Elimelech and Naomi made. Don't let anything drive you out of the will of God or draw you out of the will of God. Don't let anything become so enticing that, that you think there's a better way, because there's not. The fall of this family is absolutely heartbreaking. But it is so wonderful how it ends up. All because this one woman decided, I'm going back to God. The rest of you do whatever you want to do. I'm going back to God. We know what she did. The question is, what are you going to do? There might be some family that has already fallen and it's, it's time to come back and get back where God wants you to be. Maybe there's some family you've not fallen yet, but all of the signs are there. You are drifting in a a dangerous direction. And if something doesn't happen, go back, and then I'm through. Go back to the very beginning to where they leave. There's a famine in the land. Things are getting kind of tight, but they still got plenty. They're full. And Elimelech says uh, to his wife, says, Dear, you know, I think... I've hit upon a plan that might be good for us. I, I think we we'll ought to just leave here and uh, go to the fertile valleys out there in the country. Well, we, 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 we can make do out there. We can get by out there regardless of what happens. You know, we can plant a garden and we can get by. And so, So let's just suppose that they pack up their stuff and they hit the road and they get down the road a little ways and all of a sudden he stops in his tracks. Wouldn't it have been a wonderful thing if he would have turned around and said to her, My dear, I've made a horrible mistake. We're not supposed to be here. We're supposed to be back there with the people of God. That's the place where God put us. That's the place God wants us to be. We're going to turn around and we're going to go back right now. And it would have saved his life and the life of his two sons and the health of his wife. And if you're headed down that road, I want to encourage you to stop and turn around and go back right now before it's too late while we stand together. Father, how thankful we are for Your saving grace. How thankful we are for the warning of Your Word. And Lord, as we think this morning about the fall of this family, and we think about how how senseless, how needless it was. And Lord, help each one of us this morning to examine our lives and help us to not make the same mistakes that they made. And maybe there's some person or some family here today that is has already drifted away, and it might be that they're even to the point that they feel like there's no hope, there's no way to ever get back where I used to be, No way to ever get back to where I ought to be. And they're just living every day in despair, just wanting to give up. And I just pray this morning that You will encourage them and help them to understand that just as Naomi came back, they can come back. Just as the prodigal son came back, they can come back. And may they this morning repent of their sins and turn to You with all of their heart, and serve You with all of their soul. For we ask it in Jesus' dear name. Amen.